This podcast is brought to you by Recontract, the leading software to automate your reconditioning process. From vehicles to people to parts, Recontract streamlines every touchpoint in your recon process. Visit recontract.com an to learn more. That's R-E-C-O-N-T-R-A-C dot an. Welcome to Daily Drive. For Thursday, March 23rd, 2023, I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News. And I'm Kellen Walker. Today on the show, Ford expects to lose $3 billion this year on EVs. Crews eyes a big expansion, and the Camaro could soon drive off into the sunset. Plus, we'll look at why Jaguar is asking some dealers to give up their franchises by 2025. I like to joke that if Jaguars had nine lives, it's been about eight of them. This is probably the last gasp of Jaguar. It's got to work this way. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford expects its electric vehicle business to lose $3 billion this year, even as it forecasts increased profits on its internal combustion and commercial vehicle operations. The automaker projects that losses from its EV unit, Model E, will increase about 50% from last year when it lost a little over $2 billion. Ford Chief Financial Officer John Lawler said today on CNBC that he remains confident that Model E's earnings before interest and taxes will reach 8% of sales by late 2026. It's a startup buried within Ford Motor Company. And that's why we like our plan here to segment the business around three distinct customer groups, EV being one of those, our iconic ICE vehicles, and then of course our commercial customers. So when you look at the path for our EVs, We are losing money now, but we're a startup, we're scaling, we're developing the products. Today marks the first time Ford has publicly broken out results for its three automotive units created as part of a company-wide reorganization last year as it changes its financial reporting method. The new way of reporting no longer details how the company did in different regions of the world, such as North America, Europe, and China. Ford reaffirmed 2023 full-year targets of $9 billion to $11 billion in adjusted earnings before interest and taxes, and about $6 billion in adjusted free cash flow. Volkswagen's financial services division is forecasting a substantial drop-off in annual profit. That's as better access to semiconductor and other components leads to a more normal environment in the used car market. Volkswagen Financial Services expects earnings to be significantly below last year's level. Operating profits slipped to $6 billion last year after a record result in 2021. Shortages of chips and other disruptions to supply chains and logistics have constrained auto manufacturing, driving up prices of both new and used vehicles. Elevated residual value have been a boon to the in-house lending units that car makers and their dealers tap to help consumers finance car purchases and leases but most analysts expect those earnings to fall off this year. GM's self-driving technology company, Cruise, is expanding its California ambitions beyond San Francisco. Company executives asked California regulators this week to amend their existing permit to allow for autonomous vehicle testing throughout the state. Cruise's efforts have been restricted to specified areas of San Francisco. Cruise launched limited service in Phoenix and Austin, Texas in December. CEO Kyle Vogt tells us at Automotive News that the company's 2023 plans in those cities involve a quick-paced march toward scale in both existing locations and new ones. 
And so as we get closer to the end of the year, those are going to look like, you know, fully stood up, uh, you know, operations on par with or potentially even larger than what we have in San Francisco today. While Vote wouldn't say which California cities Cruz might target next, he signaled that they're looking southward. That might indicate Cruz is eyeing Los Angeles, where competitors like Waymo and Motional are already testing self-driving vehicles and planning ride-hailing services. And production of the Chevrolet Camaro will end after the 2024 model year. The sixth-generation Camaro debuted as a 2016 model. GM says the last Camaro in that generation will leave its Lansing Grand River assembly plant in January. There was no immediate plan to replace the Camaro. But Chevy's global vice president, Scott Bell, hinted at a future possibility. He said, quote, while we are not announcing an immediate successor today, rest assured, this is not the end of Camaro's story. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, Ford lost $2 billion last year and expects to lose $3 billion this year on EVs. It looks like they're going the wrong way. Is that okay? Uh, it's it's a little troubling. Uh, nobody likes to see losses growing, uh, but Lawler's not wrong. I mean, you think back to Tesla, they had to lose, they lost, maybe they didn't have to lose, but uh, Tesla lost billions and billions of dollars for many years before finally breaking even a couple of times and now becoming a very profitable company. So you don't want to put too much weight in the results until they get, you know, a proper platform that's really designed for EVs until the Blue Oval City plant in Tennessee and the new EV plant in Kentucky really get up and running. The key is that is whether they can make enough money on the other parts of the business to keep the company healthy while getting that EV business into a, into a more competent and uh, steadily profitable state. That makes sense, Jamie. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Coming up, Jaguar Land Rover is offering dealers extra allocations of hot-selling Land Rovers if they give up their Jaguar franchises. We'll talk about it next on Daily Drive. Across the Hendrick Automotive Group, each store had a different reconditioning process. They started looking for a solution that would help them standardize their processes, give them actionable information, and ultimately drive efficiency. Knowing they needed to bring together all pieces of their operation to cut cycle times down to their goal of three days, they chose Recontract. Chris Little, Vice President of Variable Operations, explains why having the tools to measure your recon process gives you what you need to manage it more effectively. Everyone knows speed uh, to the front line uh, equates to more turns, which helps the overall company do better in terms of parts service and inventory bias. And so uh, when you can really take the time to measure and manage that uh, and perfect that, uh, you're going to increase your turns, you're going to increase your gross profit, and you're really just going to increase the amount of used cars you can sell uh, because you're getting them out on the front line. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. Jaguar Land Rover has started the process of cutting the number of Jaguar stores in the U.S. JLR is offering dealers extra allocations of hot-selling Land Rover nameplates, such as the redesigned Range Rover, Range Rover Sport, and Defender. That's if they give up their Jaguar franchises. Our own Richard Truett and Jack Walsworth broke the story in Automotive News Today. Richard Truett, welcome back to Daily Drive. Hey, boss. Good to be here. Jack Walsworth, welcome back yourself. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. 
So you two guys put together a, a bit of a scoop this week. Jaguar Land Rover is asking at least some of its dealers to give up their Jaguar franchises, and perhaps dozens have already done so. Jack, what's going on? Yeah, so Jamie, it's something we've kind of been hearing rumblings about for a little bit from the dealer community, but uh, it sounds like basically what's happened here is Jaguar Land Rover has approached its U.S. dealer body and said, hey, if you're interested in giving up your Jaguar franchise, we will give you uh, some extra Land Rover vehicle allocation. It's one of those things that Jaguar Land Rover, the company, has been a little touchy to talk about. But from what we've gathered from talking with some dealers, uh, it seems to be what's kind of going on. And uh, as people probably know, uh, most Jaguar Land Rover dealerships have this arch set up where one side is all Jag, one side is all Land Rover. Um, it kind of mends the two franchises together. But now uh, it sounds like some may be giving up Jaguar and will be using the space that they were using for Jaguar for Land Rover or used vehicles, things like that. So, um, you know, Land Rover's been a popular brand. Vehicles are very much in demand. And I think for some dealers, it'll just become, you know, Land Rover only and uh, Jag will kind of ride off into the sunset. That's a pretty remarkable turn of events. Richard, you are our resident, you know, British car aficionado. Jaguar has been through so much in its history. What's going on with the brand now? Where is it in its in its long historical arc? I like to joke that if Jaguars had nine lives, it's spent about eight of them. <laughs> but what may be the last one is this transition to a, an ultra luxury brand. Think of Jaguars as competing now with Aston Martin and Bentley and Mercedes Maybach vehicles. Very exclusive, very limited production and very advanced technology-wise and all new styling and completely different from Land Rover products. This is probably the last gasp of Jaguar. It's got to work this time. Yeah, I, I mean, it, the brand has been through a lot and it's had some beautiful cars over the years, but it really does seem like a stretch for this brand that, I mean, not that long ago in this century was trying to go down market expand and hit sort of almost, you know, Lexus-like numbers. And now they're trying to go up market and compete with Aston and Bentley. Is that a brand that can really do that? Um, that remains to be seen. But here, here's the one thing to remember. Jaguars had a lot of corporate owners and each one has tried a different strategy to make it work. <laughs> Under Ralph Spaeth, who left last year, mm -hmm. uh, they wanted to grow to a million sales a year and that didn't work out. And so now the new, their strategy is to be very exclusive. And you ask, can it work? Well, they have Jerry McGovern looking, overlooking the styling, and he is responsible for one home run after another. And, you know, I'd say they have the best shot that they could possibly have with him leading the way because he, he loves the brand. He's grown up in the brand and with, with Land Rover. So I would say they have a pretty reasonable chance of getting a lot of eyeballs. But here's the one thing that it all turns on. Jaguar has never had great quality. If you're asking people to spend upwards of 122,000 to over 200, these cars have got to be built really well. And we don't know if Jaguar can do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, one of the things you guys reported on was that in the UK, the brand is uh, reportedly aiming to bring their dealer count down to 20 from 80. That's a pretty dramatic cut. What does that say about the brand and its overall strategy? 
Well, I think that they would like to have fewer dealers selling more cars and to start transacting a lot digitally. Mm. So they feel like they don't need a big footprint over there. Here, of course, the franchise laws are different and how it all will come about remains to be seen. From what I can tell, there's not a lot of pressure on dealers to give up their stores just yet. <laughs> Other than the, uh, the 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 lack of allocation and uh, <laughs> and relative lack of demand. I mean, the, the Land Rover side is, has been a real priority for the company, for Jaguar, Land Rover, under, you know, Tata. It's an SUV world now. Well, Jaguar sold around 9,300 cars last year through 395 dealerships. If my calculator is working properly, that's about two cars a month per store. So it's not really adding to the, the bottom line for, for Jaguar Land Rover dealers at this point. So it, I think their strategy makes sense to have a, a smaller footprint. Jack, how do dealers, or I, I mean, no dealers don't like to speak ill of their brands, but I know you talked with some, uh, some people in the buy-sell world who've been watching this. I mean, is it frustrating for dealers to see this kind of a strategic shift? What we gathered talking with some uh, some brokers that talked with dealers, um, you know, it sounds like dealers are pretty frustrated, largely because uh, many of them went through this facility upgrade improvement a few years ago when they invested you know, a lot of money in these arch facilities. And now, you know, just a few years later, they're being told, hey, if you give back one of the brands, you know, we'll give you some more inventory. So definitely, it sounds like there's some frustration. Uh, I talked with one broker, Joe Ozog, and he said he actually has two buy-sell transactions uh, separate. They're both across the country. They're on hold right now just because the buyer feels quite uncertain about you know half of the franchise he would be buying with Jaguar kind of being a question mark. So, you know, I think probably for the dealers, you know, like Richard mentioned, you know, the Jaguar volume really hasn't been that high you know, for a long time. But at the same time, you know, it, it is, seems to be a bit of a pain point that uh, – maybe the way it's it's being uh, handled at the moment. Well, yeah, and especially I think maybe it was Alan Haig who said, talked more about, you know, they told all these successful uh, Land Rover dealers, you know, please buy your nearby Jaguar dealership and put them together. And now they're like, yeah, never mind. Never mind about that Jaguar thing. And like, that's a significant investment and a distraction. But I suppose for some of them, the Land Rover side is so much what drives their bottom line anyway? They're like, fine, let's just focus on the the stronger brand at this point. There might be an opportunity here for Land Rover dealers because the Range Rover has moved way up market and it's essentially competing with Bentley now. And so mm. one dealer told me they could use that Jaguar side of the, the showroom to highlight Range Rover products and separate them from the more utilitarian Land Rovers like Discoveries and those vehicles there. So. Mm-hmm. Some brands take a really different approach to the U.S. market. It's just, it's a different place. It's, it, we're su- such a big country. Does Jaguar Land Rover, are they totally consistent across the whole world or are they kind of focused market by market? They try to be consistent in three areas, the dealership facility, the buying experience, and the way they go to market with messaging and advertising. So yes, they do try to be uniform globally with minor local differences. Yeah, but these would be the ones that would affect their uh, retail strategy. <laughs> yes. All right. So what they're doing in England, where they have more control, where there aren't the same franchise protection laws, probably indicates what they really want to do throughout the whole world. Moving sales online, elegant, smaller footprint of a, of a retail system. So you know, Land Rover has been 
you know, so profitable and so popular within the, these last few years of the, the COVID crisis and the lack of production, has JLR really shifted their prioritized the Land Rover and, and Land Rover brand and shifted their chip supply there in order to make that business as strong as it can while maybe letting the Jaguar side lag a little? They absolutely have done that. The last three or four product launches that JLR has done, the Range Rover, Range Rover Sport and Defender, have all been home runs. They've got an order bank of around 200,000 sold orders that they can't build because they don't have enough chips. And so the chips they have been getting have been going to Land Rover and Range Rover vehicles. And Jaguar's production has been way down. In fact, they discontinued production of their Houston Ams for six months or so last year, and they're just now getting them back online. They discontinued the production, and did anyone notice? Not here. <laughs> it's like the tree falling in the woods, isn't it? <laughs> okay, Richard Truitt, Jack Walsworth, thank you so much for joining me here on Daily Drive. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Jamie. And you can find Richard and Jack's reporting on the story at autonews.com. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Callan Walker. Thanks to Automotive News coordinating producer Jake Neer, Michael Martinez, Pete Bigelow, and Lindsey Van Hulley for their help on today's podcast. You can get the latest news on retail, electrification, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. 